All right. Welcome back to East in the Arena, a place where we talk to East members about the unique things they do, how they do them, and why. Jeremy Levin here, joined by my co-hosts, Sean Murley and Mike Radomski. Anyone want to guess what we're going to talk about today? Thoracotomies. No. Trauma Airways. Nope. Quilts. Uh, Quilts? Okay. So we're going to talk to Ashley Meager, who is based at a Methodist hospital in Indianapolis and started a quilting program here for end-of-life discussions, comfort care. And it's really a story about her passion in starting this project and what it signifies for our patients, how we treat our patients when they're dying. It's a really incredible story. Interesting. I'm excited. It's not a topic that we talk about a lot, but I think it's definitely a topic that needs to be talked about more. Yeah, I totally agree. And so what we're going to listen to here is Ashley really talking about when all this started, um, which was not right when she got into practice, but more so back in her residency. So let's listen in. So I did my, did my residency at Loyola and as a good Jesuit institution, they have a very strong chaplaincy corps. And I think I really got interested in palliative care then, mostly because I interacted with the chaplains a lot, especially as the burn chief and the ICU chief and their chaplains are unit based. And they also have a blanket um, mission that they do. So I had already kind of been a little bit primed when I went to my fellowship at Harborview I don't remember how I got into the conversation with Dr. Bulger about quilting, but we did. And she, as many know, is an avid quilter. And she told me about the quilting program at um, University of Washington in Harborview. You never know where you can learn things from. It sounds like Ashley learned a lot from the people that she worked with just by quilting. And that made her a better physician when it came to end-of-life discussions. I think that experience with quilting has kind of shaped the way she deals with patients. I kind of reflected back on how inadequate my education had been on end-of-life discussions kind of up to that point. And it didn't come naturally. She had to work on it. During my fellowship year, I actually like led almost all of the discussions that I could. This is something that we don't really focus on when training our residents. I don't know about you guys, but when we start talking about end-of-life things, usually the first words that come out is consult palliative care, right? We talk about, you know, having good end-of-life care meetings with families and such, but really focused palliative surgical care. I mean, I, I didn't receive that type of training at all during my residency, and I don't think that we really provide that to the residents that I work with now. I joined the quilting group there and went and made quilts with the, the quilters. They have kind of regular like meetup sessions and it was a blast. Like it was amazing. The people who participate are just the best people. I mean, they're doing it just for pure volunteerism. And following fellowship, Ashley didn't want to wait to start her own program. When I first came here, I actually or had the intention to kind of start this. When I interviewed, there was nothing like that. When I asked about it, if people had this program that I could join and they didn't have it. So I very quickly, within the first few months of moving here, started it. When you think about it, like new faculty coming to a new place, 
it's really hard to start anything when you're fresh out of the gate, right? You don't know the system, you don't know the stakeholders. So it's kind of bold to come in and be like, I'm gonna do this thing that's centered around a topic that many people are uncomfortable with or inadequately trained in and be the champion of it. Eileen and I have talked a lot about this, that the quilt means so much to people and it's a good entry into having a conversation about end of life. And it's something tactile that physicians can give when we really don't have anything else to offer. That last point that she made struck a chord because actually having something solid to give to a family when you're talking about very abstract concepts or very existential concepts, tying something that's abstract to something that's concrete is an interesting concept. I think it's almost like in medical school, you always refer to you know, the healing touch of a physician, just being able to touch your patient, you know, that helps them instantly feel better. I think this is something very similar. To Basically, because that means that you've engaged in some amount of palliative care consideration and you've kind of taken it the next step to having like an organized end of life, not protocol, but protocol, um, because I think that's where we've really struggled. This almost serves as a stopgap. Like when you start introducing something that is, I'm going to give this thing as a, as a signifier that the situation's non-salvageable, there's no hope for survival, things like that. It directs you into having a conversation that you may not, it may not occur to you to have that conversation. The quilts give you like a tangible thing. Like, should this patient get a quilt? We usually do it when a patient's patient or their family has decided to go to comfort care. So I'll take a second to kind of advocate that we eliminate the term withdrawal of care from our collective use of words. We don't withdraw care. We don't stop caring for patients. We transition to comfort care or we cease life-sustaining treatments. I'll be honest, nothing gives me more joy. I am totally on board with that statement, right? We never withdraw care. We, uh, we transition to comfort care. That's, that's a very, very important point. However, I love annoying meager and just saying <laughs> we're withdrawing care. At every moment that I can say that in front of her, I try to. In front of the residents, I will say transition to comfort because it's important. And the nursing staff, not a lot to, to signify that. But in front of her, oh man, it's, it brings me so much joy. I think I first went to our trauma program manager and was kind of like, I want to do this. I think I may have actually been like, I'm going to do this. And this is what my plan is. Make, help me make it happen. That's a leader. That's a leader who is passionate about something, wants to start something and does it. This is a lot about, you know, starting a project, no matter what it is, when you're new to a department, if you're the champion of that project, I don't know of many times that somebody's going to say, you can't do that. Being in the Midwest, there are, you are surrounded by quilters and you don't even know it. As somebody from the South, I can, I can agree with that. <laughs> I should say, as Fair. somebody who is from the South and lived in the Midwest. <laughs> There's a lot of very active quilting guilds. So I reached out to the Indie uh, Modern Quilt Guild and the Indianapolis Quilt Guild and kind of told them like, hey, we're starting this thing. Is it just me or does it, are those some badass names? The Indianapolis, what was it? Indianapolis Quilt Guild. Sounds like the Kansas City mob or the Chicago <laughs> mafia. <laughs> I mean, I've never been a part of a guild, so <laughs> it, it seems like that's like, if you're part of a guild, you're, you're, you've made it, you made it on whatever yeah. you're doing. And apparently 
that's true for quilts. Most quilt guilds are, have some amount of charity work that they do. And that can range from the guild putting their full weight behind it. Or if they just want to kind of like make their membership aware. So I did that and that got a little bit of kind of traction. But Ashley was fortunate not just to find help from without, but also from within. Our hospital actually had a group of quilters who had, or sewists actually, they started quilting for us and they immediately committed to making a hundred quilts a year. Not to get into the technical details, but I, I have no idea what the difference between a sewist and a quilter is. <laughs> I don't know what a, I don't know what quilting is versus sewing. I thought they, I thought they were both. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys will find out. A hundred quilts a year. These quilts can take an immense amount of time, and that's that is, I would say, a modest when you think about the amount of patients that transitions to comfort care in any year. A hundred's not that much. What's going to be surprising is when she starts telling us the amount of quilts she actually gives out. It's pretty astonishing. So I, I have like a volunteer coordinator who is like the go-between. Um, she's my my quilt mule. Can we just acknowledge as a <laughs> as a? I don't know. How I would feel if I was called a quilt mule, but it definitely <laughs> signifies a status within the quilting world. Our public relations team did like a whole news thing. So they did an article in the newspaper. People reached out to her. They did a um, story on a couple of the news stations. She sends emails. And then I have a Facebook group that people kind of have found us through. There's this narrative all throughout here about how, when you think about it, she's a fresh out fellowship, new attending, new place, new city, starting something that's a passion project for her that no one else really shares when she got here. And now she's in news articles and on news stations talking about quilts for palliation. It's really humbling for me because I don't know if I'd be able to do that. No, I agree with you 110%. I mean, that's, she's really, she really stepped out, took this project head on. I mean, I sort of felt like who's going to say no to quilts? Who's going to say no to charity? But this thing, it's Ashley's. I think it would probably peter out if I wasn't here, if it didn't have a champion. A lot of this whole story is it's on the back of Ashley Meager. For three years now, pushing this thing through, it's it's her baby, you know, it's her thing. Yeah, there's not a lot of activities that a physician takes on by themselves for years on end. That's their thing, right? That you don't see that a lot. So everything we've spoken about before is really, she got here, she wanted to do this thing, but it takes a lot of people to do this thing. And as we're about to find out, the amount of people she's spoken with, she already mentioned those guilds, but beyond the guilds, it's going to require a lot of buy-in of many people, both in and out of the hospital for her to accomplish this. We reached out to the volunteer services people. We reached out to the local quilt guilds. And the first meeting we had, which was about four months after I started, I think we made seven quilts. And it's not like they had a lot of people when they started. We had probably about four or five people. We had our very first meeting back from COVID um, last month, and there were 22 people there, and they made 35 quilts, which is amazing considering that for two years, we've been just kind of making quilts in our houses. Four months. Four months after she started. I can barely get a retrospective study going in four months. Like, <laughs> I can barely get an IRB through in four months. Four months is to, to do this is, is pretty incredible. Yeah. 
So 35 quilts from 22 people. That is... Um, Those are some talented people. I know, right? And the way in which she does this, right? When you think about the materials she would need, it's it just requires a lot of just good charity from a lot of people. We have an overwhelming amount of donations in all reality. There's a lot of people out there whose grandmothers died and left a lot of fabric in their house and they want to get, they want to offload it. Is it just me or is that slightly morbid? I just felt like it was a little morbid or coincidental that all these grandmas are dying and leaving their fabric to be used for other people that are dying. It deserves to be mentioned that it's interesting that, now nah, maybe not. All right, forget it. Well, no, there there is something um, poetic about it. Yeah, I, th I yeah, there's something poetic about it, right? These these people who are seeing their last days in the goodness of their hearts are giving away their supplies for a program or their family members as proxy for them for giving their supplies away for a program that is to help comfort the dying. I mean, there is something very poetic about that. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> You can imagine that doing this process, which is time intensive, is labor intensive. If you don't have something to keep those people going, you're going to have attrition. People can only do charitable works for so much, but if there's no feedback, if there's nothing there for them, there's going to be people who just don't want to engage in that. And so the feedback is crucial. And the feedback that these volunteers get, I think, is particularly special. I've been fortunate that the chaplains share stories with me of when they give quilts away. I actually have had now uh, two or three families reach out to me explaining how meaningful the quilts are. I mean, I don't know if you can get better than that in terms of meaningful feedback to, to kind of keep you going and doing what you're doing. Yeah, that hits you right in the heart. And so I pass that information on to the quilters and send like the emails. One family member actually sent pictures of their daughter with the quilt on their bed after the sister died. That has been really probably the most meaningful thing. There's another side of this too. There's not only the out of the hospital work. People in the hospital also have to be part of this program, specifically residents, the house staff. So getting them to do this takes a lot of work and a lot of motivation. When we had like in-person sign-outs and stuff before COVID, we would kind of remind people every day to kind of remember to give out quilts if there's a patient going to comfort care. She would put up signs around the hospital and the ICU. And then usually at the beginning of the month, I try and re remind the residents like, hey, if you've got someone going to comfort care, just remember to grab a quilt. So it took time to get things going. You know, to go back to the resident aspect of this, and get that kind of buy-in to have them adopt this type of passion project and make it something that it's their own really speaks volumes about her commitment to the meaning of this project. I don't think just anybody can come and start this, this type of project and have it be successful because there are too many areas where it could fail. Everything from finding people to help make the quilts, to making them continuously, to the distribution process of this. And I think that that really speaks volumes as to her dedication. That shows through too. We're about to hear, when it starts becoming just part of your culture and you can riff off of something that you do and be playful with it, you know it's really sunken in. Listen to what her residents now do and the way they regard quilting. It's, it's kind of funny. 
quilt has become a verb here. So this patient needs to be quilted. And so actually just yesterday, one of the chief residents was saying, if they have a really hard call, they'll say, just quilt me now. (laughs) (laughs) I had one of my partners said that if we could get the hospital to adopt anything half as quickly as they have adopted the quilts, then we would be so much more successful. She changed the entire culture of the department. There's one lesson I think that is sunken into me uh, over the past five, seven years is that culture of an institution is usually the hardest thing to change. Yep. And she's done that in, you know, three years. And that's when you know you got something good, right? When, when it takes like wildfire, it's just fundamentally a good idea. It resonates with people. And uh, y'all remember when she talked about how many quills she made post-COVID? right? 35 quilts. Listen to how many she made as the program is continuing to gain speed. We give about 300 quilts away a year so far. Wow. that That's crazy. That, I mean, that's almost a quilt a day. That's incredible. And they take time. Listen to how she explains, like, it's not, I had no idea how to make a quilt. Uh, I don't even think I own a quilt, but it is more complicated than I just, I just thought it was a blanket, It, but it's not. So a quilt is three layers. There's the front, which is the usually the kind of pieced part that people think of, the back, and then in the middle there is batting. And the actual quilting is sewing the three layers together. There you go, Mike. Different than a sewist. Yes, it takes time. Nearly four to eight hours per quilt. Um, But I have some quilters who are phenomenally fast quilters. And a lot of them are retired and have a lot of time on their hands. And this is the thing they do. The quilts do take a lot of time. I have a fair number of people who help me. I have kind of, I don't make as many quilts myself as I used to. I usually am organizing or making, I'm, I, I cut fabric to make kits because some of our sewists prefer to have like a pre-made pattern. I'll do that. Some nights my husband and I will like get a whole bunch of fabric together and he'll iron it and I'll cut it and we'll put it into bags and like, that's our activity for the night. That hits home of just, if you're doing this on a night with your husband or your partner, just making quilts for a program that you believe in, that's that's dedication. And then I have people who help with picking up things, dispersing things, sewing labels on, or ironing labels on. So it's definitely too much for one person. And I didn't necessarily appreciate how much work it would be, but I think... I've gotten it to a point where I've, I've got most of it kind of going. It's a lot of effort. 300 quilts a year, even if it just takes a couple hours per quilt, that is hundreds of hours. That is potentially thousands of hours of making these quilts solely through charitable work, solely through volunteerism. All by hand. All by hand. Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. I think one aspect, and she's going to get into this too, is it's a two-way street. On the one hand, giving these quilts is comforting for the patients and their family. But on the other hand, it affects the staff who give the quilt too. I think it's really cool to see how engaged the residents become in end-of-life discussions and like having something to take to the patients and their family. I mean, I've residents really appreciate the opportunity to take a quilt to a family. I appreciate the fact that she has expanded the significance of these quilts beyond just the patients, and it has important value for 
the providers and the house staff as well. I do think that it's helped with the residents and the fellows thinking about how to have these conversations. The quilt allows them to recognize that sometimes all we have to offer as physicians is a quilt. The presence of the quilting program in a way shows a commitment to treating our dying patients as well as we treat them while they're patients. I think that it is a tangible kind of thing that we are thinking of these patients right up to the point that they're dead. You know, I just have to agree with the aspect of the tangibility of this object that you're giving them that conveys warmth and comfort. I think it triggers so many more emotions and so much more of a response than than just what our words can, can tell people. And frankly, it's something that until I was introduced to this concept of giving a quilt, never would have occurred to me. Quilting and, and the presence of quilts is actually very tied into like Americana. People recognize that a quilt is an item of comfort and an item of love. And so I think that it's sort of inherently a, a relatively innocuous thing. If you're going to start this at another place, what are the things you can tell people that they could do to get it going? What are the kind of the steps? So what she's about to go into is just not so much how you start a quilting program per se, but just how you start a program, right? There are so many facets to doing things. You have to make a blueprint. So number one, figure out who you're doing it for. We're going to do it just for trauma patients. Okay, you're just going to do it for trauma patients. You're not going to concentrate about other things. Then figure out what your goals are. Keep it defined to what you want to provide and what your goal is. I think my first year, my goal was to give out 50 quilts, and we did 120 that first year. What? Right? (laughs) Talk about modest goals and just killing it. You're going to figure out who your people who are involved are. An army of volunteers and experts. If that's a local quilting guild, or if you want to go to talk to a local quilt shop, they usually have resources or your volunteer at your hospital volunteer office. Then get the goods you need to get the job done. Gathering supplies can probably be one of the trickiest things. You need fabric and you need a sewing machine and you need batting and you need thread. All of those things are things a lot of quilters have. And a lot of my quilters use a lot of their own supplies. Then stir up interest and advertise. We did a kind of a public relations thing, emailed the volunteer coordinators, emailed the guilds. I picked all of my days for the year ahead of time as far as when we were meeting and found a space at the hospital that I could use for free. And then I kind of had that published so that people could plan way ahead. And lastly, make it easy for people to join in. Figure out a few quilt patterns that are very easy that you can kind of have on hand if people ask you what quilts they are. Ashley's journey and what she's accomplished is a reflection of her own passions and the training she's received as she's gone along the way, stretching all the way back to her time at Harborview with her mentors. I hope that Eileen is proud of inspiring this and being a part of my growth. Well, that's us. If you want to check out more in the arena episodes or other East products, including the TraumaCast and CareerCast, visit east.org or wherever fine podcasts are found. East in the Arena is a product of the Educational Resources Committee and created by Mike Brodomsky, Sean Murley, and Jeremy Levin.
This episode was produced by me, Jeremy Levin, which means it's better than Mike and Chom's episodes. Intro and outro music was created by Matt Holsmacher. See you next time. <laughs>